Hey everyone, welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for July 22nd, 2022. I'm your host, Lou DeVizio. I hope everybody's wrapping up a productive and enjoyable week. Hope no one had to spend too much time working outside in the heat we're seeing. Hopefully things are going to cool off a little bit over the next few days or so. Uh, I'll take one or two degrees at this point. But anyways, let's get into the headlines impacting our state right now. Emergency call records show one of the four first responders killed in last weekend's helicopter crash managed to call 911 before he died. The Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office says Under Sheriff Larry Corrin, Lieutenant Fred Beers, Deputy Michael Levison, and County Fire and Rescue Department Specialist Matthew King died in the crash Saturday night. It's not clear which one of those men made the call to San Miguel County dispatchers. The helicopter was in the air to help support fire crews who were working in the Las Vegas area uh, to help contain a wildfire there. The cause of the crash is being investigated. We're getting mixed messages on how the Republican nominee for governor could approach abortion if elected. The day Roe v. Wade was overturned, Mark Ronchetti said he would pursue a 15-week abortion ban, with some exceptions. But, according to the influential pastor of an Albuquerque megachurch, Steve Smotherman, Ronchetti wants a total ban, and he's just pushing this less expansive proposal so he can get elected first. That's according to Smotherman. Ronchetti denies that claim and says the 15-week ban is his firm position. The Secretary of New Mexico's Children, Youth, and Families Department says from here on out, meetings of the department's new steering committee will be open to the public and the media. I spoke with Secretary Barbara Vigil Thursday about the criticism her department has been facing over these committee meetings, which to this point have been closed. Vigil says she created the committee to explore and refine how the department responds to grievances and complaints. It's also reviewing a report from an outside agency that analyzed how the department responds to serious situations, critical incidents like child fatalities. That report has not been made public yet, but Vigil says it will be available soon. You can listen to her explanation in our interview in about a minute right here on the podcast. In that interview, she also addresses allegations that the committee violated the Open Meetings Act. She and the department maintain their decision to close the meeting was not a violation because the committee is purely advisory and has no decision-making authority. The department cited a 2020 opinion from the Attorney General's office that addressed a very similar CYFD committee that had closed its doors. I reached out to the AG's office for a copy of that opinion. In it, this sentence seems to back up the department's position, saying, quote, We have consistently opined that purely advisory bodies are not generally subject to the Open Meetings Act. End quote. That's from the AG's office. That said, the AG's office also made it clear to me that they have not formulated an opinion on this particular committee. Regardless, Secretary Vigil assures me that from now on, these meetings will be open virtually for anyone who wants to listen in. Secretary Barbara Vigil, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Lou. Of course. Uh, I, I want to ask about this new steering committee uh, created in the last few months. Can you just start by explaining why it was created and what the objective of the committee is? Yes. Uh, the committee was formed uh, by me at my direction for the purpose of examining CYFD services particularly in the area of grievances and how we resolve complaints or grievances uh, within the agency. And it was really designed to enhance uh, our services to the public. 
So it was created by me following the last legislative session because I believe that I needed input from committed individuals who are interested in system improvement and invited uh, those individuals who are mem now members of the committee to join us and in examining our processes and procedures and uh, with the goal of making recommendations on system improvement. Okay. Um, now, who is a part of that committee? You mentioned some of the members. So actually, uh, the work of the committee is posted on our website. And we have not only who is on the committee, but we also have the agendas for those meetings, the notes of the, of the prior meetings, as well as the presentations, the, the PowerPoint presentations or slide presentations that have been uh, made during the meetings. So. I, I can go through the list, but there's uh, a number of very um, committed advocates in the child welfare system on that committee. Understood. Um, the meetings themselves, I'm sure you've heard, but there has been some controversy about the fact that reporters and the public haven't been able to get in. Why was that a decision that you made, I assume? Sure. Uh, First and foremost, this is an advisory committee, and so uh, they are not, their recommendation will not be legally binding. So we looked at the Open Meetings Act and made a determination that this fell outside of the uh, requirements of the Open Meetings Act. Uh, but for the most part, it was really about enabling the committee to do its work without um, you know, the constraints of having uh, either the media or other other folks viewing their comments or weighing into their view on their views in on their views and so forth. And, you know, it's a common practice in both private industry and public service that a, a leader of an organization would pull together folks that have specialized knowledge and experience to uh, provide recommendations to assess a situation, provide recommendations on how to improve that, that organization. And that was my intention. Uh, it certainly uh, by no means was intended to be a way to meet in secret. It was simply what I believed at, at the time to, to be the best um, approach for the work of the committee. Understood. Uh, now, saying that um, you wanted people to be able to speak freely and all of these things, there's also a history predating your tenure of a lack of transparency or a perceived lack of transparency from your department. Did you take that into consideration when you, when you made that call? And because, I mean, from the, outcry we've seen, it's obvious that the public would like to at least be able to see what's going on inside those meetings rather than just having the agendas afterwards. Sure. And, and yes, um, absolutely. I didn't believe that it would generate this much um, suspicion or concern. I, I sincerely believe that the work of the committee would move perhaps more, more uh, smoothly with not having the public weigh in or, or in particular the media weigh in on the debate that the committee was having uh, with respect to the issues that were presented. Um, having considered the um, 
the concerns that have been raised about that. I've actually um, thought carefully in the interest of, of transparency that it would indeed be better for the committee's um, meetings to be open to the public where the public can sit and observe the the information that's being shared the questions that are being asked the responses being given with respect to the work of the department so going forward yes uh, we will be uh, making those meetings open to the public that said we will have uh, at the when when the committee issues its recommendations to me uh, we will have a period or a meeting whereby the public can provide public comment on the recommendations. Uh, so, so that will also be an effort to uh, engage the public and the work of the committee and, and provide their feedback to what the committee is recommending. Okay, all right, so just to be clear, these meetings moving forward will be open to the public and the media? Yes, yes. Awesome, some breaking news, thank you. Um, now, one thing that, uh, according to Albuquerque Journal reporting, um, part of that committee's duties is to go through this review from an outside consultant about looking into serious incidents, I think that's the term, like child deaths, things like that. Sure. That review hasn't been made public yet. Is, sure. is that something that you're planning on doing in the near future? Yes, yes, that will be forthcoming very, very soon. And certainly, you know, your, your, um, your office, you will be provided with a copy of, of that report. And as soon as it's made public, I'm happy to make myself available to talk about um, the report and the recommendations of the report, and perhaps more importantly, all the work that we are doing uh, for children and families in New Mexico and, and the system improvement that we're engaged in. Great. Um, has the department considered ways, broad ways, I mean, like I, I said before, these transparency, perceived transparency issues have been around for years now. Has it thought of a way, a strategic action plan for a buzzword or something to, to be more transparent moving forward? Yes, I, I think part of it is the fact that so much of what we do is day in and day out dealing with tragedies or uh, serious incidences of with respect to families. And, and the, the, the whole concept is really about keeping that, those, those circumstances private for the benefit of the children who through no fault of their own are victims of harm. And so um, I think public child welfare systems often have um, a very uh, difficult balance to engage in with respect to ensuring that the children victims in the work that we do, and it's, it's significant day in and day out um, for those children that, that their identity and their circumstances are, are not made public uh, so that for, for obvious reasons. Um, that said, this is the work of the people. The people of New Mexico deserve a public child welfare system that is responsive to their concerns. And I am committed as the governor is in, in my appointment to this, to this role in serving the interests of the public in this work and making sure that yes, um, 
we we want to be more transparent. It's one of the the principles upon which I lead this agency. It's accountability, uh, collaboration, and transparency. Um, it's it's very very important to the work that I do. Um, but it also there's that balance of, of keeping the circumstances and facts pertaining to individual children very. Um, private and confidential as required under the law, but on the other hand, ensuring that the people of New Mexico are confident that the work that we're doing uh, is in accordance with best practices and, and moving our system better uh, forward in a better way. Certainly. Um, other than just increasing transparency, the, the people's work, you called it, letting people in and, and being able to watch what you guys are doing. How will you rebuild community trust? As again, for the third time, that's years, years in the making, has it's been eroding. How will you uh, try to restore that? Sure. One of the things that I'm very uh, committed to doing is, uh, of course, uh, making myself available for commentary and for explanations of the work of, of the of the of the organization. Uh, but more importantly, getting out into New Mexico's beautiful communities and visiting with treatment providers and resource parents who serve our children and making sure that I am doing everything that I can to reach out outside of Santa Fe into our communities and listening uh, to their concerns, to their views of how the department should do its work better. And so I've been doing that. Um, it, uh, across New Mexico. I've been traveling to other communities and meeting with our staff, meeting with treatment providers, meeting with uh, folks that are very involved in the child welfare sy system and listening to their concerns. And I think if, if uh, communities see uh, the leader of the organization, the cabinet secretary out and about in New Mexico, listening and learning, I think that they will gain uh, better trust and confidence in in the transparency of the organization. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you joining me today to talk this through. So thank you, Secretary Barbara Vigil. Thank you. Before that interview, the two meetings the CYFD steering committee had held were closed to the media and the public. Secretary Vigil just gave her explanation why, but whatever the rationale, without public access, journalists, government watchdogs, and citizens were frustrated with the lack of transparency. One of those groups is the New Mexico Foundation for Open Government. I spoke with the group's executive director, who told me the only way for the department to regain any trust from the public is by opening itself up. Please keep in mind this interview was recorded before news broke that CYFD would be opening the committee meetings to the public from now on. Melanie Majors, thanks for joining me today. Um, I want to talk about this new committee in the Children, Youth, and Families Department. It's obviously been causing some controversy by closing itself off to the public. I'm told by the department that it's strictly an advisory board or body reviewing the ways that the department responds to critical incidents like child deaths. Why, in your view, in, in the view of uh, New Mexico Foundation for Open Government, is it so important for the public to be involved in this particular step of the process? If an agency wants to be transparent, what better way to do it than open up their proceedings? The CYFD folks that met said that they would not let the public into the meeting, but they would provide minutes 
well, doesn't that raise questions? What is in the minutes? What was left out of the minutes? And why, if they provide minutes, why can't the public be in the meeting? So the public information officer that I spoke to from CYFD told me that the committee isn't subject to Open Meetings Act. Uh, regardless, they seem to want to keep it closed if they have the legal avenue to do so. He says that that's because it's not a decision-making body. Based on your understanding of the law, is that a legitimate reason to close these meetings to the public? I don't think it's a, le a legitimate reason to close these meetings, and I don't know that they're not a policy-making body. Who else makes policy for CYFD but the folks who work at CYFD? The fact that the board or commission is advisory, possessing only the authority to make recommendations to the public agency should not remove it from the scope of the government in the Open Meetings Act. They think otherwise. And I, I just want to know your personal opinion on why it's so, I, I mean, these are serious allegations that are being covered in this meeting, potentially. Um, according to Albuquerque Journal reporting during the last meeting, the committee was going to look into an update on a review by an outside consultant the department hired that consultant to look into these so-called critical incidents like child deaths. I, I mean, why, in your personal view, is it so important for the public who is served by this department to know how the department is handling these serious cases? Well, just in the last three years and just the deaths that have been reported by news outlets, because CYFD, of course, doesn't always let the public know what's in their records. There have been 26 children who have died. Doesn't the public need to know what happened to those 26 children? Isn't it incumbent that taxpayer dollars that are being spent supposedly to protect and shield these children from harm? And we know nothing about what's being done. We don't have any answers. We don't have any information. And 26 young people have lost their lives. You know, childhood is a finite time of life. As such, shouldn't we all try to make sure that that finite time of life is as good as it can be? And it always seems to me that CYFD is more concerned about protecting the operations of the agency than the lives of the children that they are supposed to be serving. There are a few allegations that kind of back up what you're saying, transparency, transparency issues surrounding the department recently. Um, one of them actually seemed to spark the formation of this committee, at least chronologically. Um, according to reporting from KOAT, an investigator working on the case of a four-year-old who was found beaten to death in May of this year testified under oath that she had been told by her managers at the department to delete notes that they didn't want to be recorded in their system. Uh, she said during a deposition that she believed that they were anticipating an investigation into the four-year-old's death. That happened more than a year after a different incident where department leadership directed staff to communicate on an app that automatically deletes chats. I know that's been well covered. Um, do you see these instances as a pattern? Oh, yeah. You know, we, we had high hopes when the new secretary came in because she really was talking about transparency and that transparency would be part of the operations moving forward. We haven't seen any indication of that. And just the two incidences that you have alluded to. When there is no transparency, you don't know what's going on. Destru destruction of public records is a felony. Destruction of public records is against the law in New Mexico. And there are distinct um, laws, rules, et cetera, about the disposal of records. 
and I think there's about 400 different um, uh, categories of records and how they can be disposed of properly. And someone telling someone to get rid of a record because there may be a lawsuit. I have a real problem with that. And I think the citizens of New Mexico have a real problem with that. What's your in a perfect world scenario for what happens next with the department? A perfect scenario would be to open up the meetings, open up the meetings, open up the records. New Mexico Foundation for Open Government operates a hotline. We receive many calls on the hotline from people who are frustrated with trying to deal with agencies. And one of the agencies that they are often frustrated with dealing with is CYFD. I understand that they need to have rules in place for sensitive information. But some of the information that is often asked for is not of a sensitive nature. It's statistics. It's information on, on data sets. It's information that has no identifiers, someone's name, their other, they may have their age, but it doesn't have their name. It doesn't have where they live, et cetera. And CYFD continually um, is a roadblock to, to transparency. If you want to improve this department, open it up. Warts and all, let's see what's going on and see if it can't be repaired so that the lives of children are not in peril. For anyone who would like to watch the upcoming steering committee meeting, I'm told it will take place Wednesday, July 27th at 10 a.m. Secretary Veal tells me anyone will be able to watch and listen to the entire meeting virtually. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like the podcast, check out our show Friday nights at 7 o'clock on New Mexico PBS. This week, I think it's a pretty solid show. We cover this issue and several others, including that plan to store up to 10,000 canisters of the country's nuclear waste here in New Mexico. As you can imagine, that one's not sitting too well with the public or our leaders, our state leaders, our congressional delegation. But despite all that, the plan's still going ahead at the federal level. Gene and the Line Opinion Panel will get into all of that and some of the possible dangers in bringing all of that hazardous waste here, transporting it across the country to get here, much less when it does get here. Uh, if that doesn't work for you, Friday nights, I mean, uh, we always repost it on our YouTube channel, so you can watch it there too. And of course, I'll always catch you guys up on the podcast later in the week. Thanks again, guys. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio for July 22nd, 2022. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody.